Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Son of God and the long-awaited Messiah. Thank you for the light. Uh, but Jesus was declared a heretic, brought to trial, convicted, handed over to the Romans, nailed to a cross, died, and was buried. So as far as the Jewish leadership was concerned, Jesus was dead and the case was closed. But after three nights and three days in the tomb, Jesus rose from the dead. And as we, as we read in Acts 1-3, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now we read in Acts 1-9 that his disciples also saw him ascend into heaven. But the Jewish leaders refused to believe reports of either his resurrection or his ascension. I don't want to know. <laughs> Next, we find in Acts 2 that the promised comforter, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, who would guide us into spiritual life, into spiritual wisdom, and in spiritual power, was given to believing Jews on the day of Pentecost. Within weeks, tens of thousands of Jews had put their faith in Jesus Christ as a result of Peter preaching with the Holy Spirit's wisdom and power. And then in Acts 6, Stephen was doing the same thing, but he was accused of blasphemy. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen defended himself with such spiritual wisdom that his accusers could only silence him by stoning him to death. So we're then introduced to a man named Saul. In Acts 7:58, they threw him, Stephen, out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So in the beginning of Acts 8, we see that Saul not only voted to put Stephen to death, but was instrumental in persecuting followers of Jesus who were considered to be part of a sect called The Way. Jesus called himself, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And so they were called the way. So we read in Acts uh, chapter 8, starting out, you know, verse 3 verses, Saul agreed with putting them, or putting him rather, Stephen, to death. On that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. Uh, we just sang a song where Jesus, you know, is protecting us. You know, he's, we're, we're in, his, in his hands, and, and Jesus wanted to do something about this. So we see in uh, Acts 8, after persecution had driven Christian, uh, Jewish Christians out of Jerusalem, uh, salvation and the Holy Spirit were given to Samaritans through the preaching of Philip and the laying on of hands by Peter and John. And at the end of chapter 8, Peter exposed selfish unbelief in Simon the sorcerer, and Philip led the Ethiopian eunuch uh, to the Lord. So let's, this morning, let's take a closer look at Saul, who, apart from Jesus Christ, is arguably the most important person in the New Testament Scriptures. More important than Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and more important than Peter or Philip, mainly because he wrote 13, I would say 14, but I don't know who's smart enough, uh, you know, besides, besides uh, 
uh, Paul to have written the book of Hebrews, but let's, uh, let's leave that aside. First, let's pray ourselves. And we're going we're gonna to be going through some scripture here. So let's pray for ears to hear and hearts to understand. Not only that, but to obey. Heavenly Father, I just pray that it would be you who would be teaching us, that your Holy Spirit would be guiding us into all truth. Not only would we recognize the truth, but we'd recognize our part in the truth. Recognize your promises to us if we obey. We'd recognize your promises to us if we disobey. Now, Lord, I, I just pray that you'd bless this time that we have. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would be glorified by it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we read uh, some bad things about Saul. We'll, we'll get into more of them, but in support of Saul, there's three important capabilities that were developed in his life. Now, one of the things I'm going to ask you to do is what has God developed in your life? Now, we're going to talk about things that were developed in his life before he was saved. Uh, some of you that were saved when you were very young, uh, you can say, well, I didn't learn anything. Well, you had parents that maybe guided you along the right way. So, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be thankful for God, how he works in your life. But <clears throat> I got saved when I was 33, and I look at back and I saw God's hand after, you know, after you realize that God's really in control, you, you see how God has worked, you know, so that you learn from each experience, and that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, these trials are come that we would be exercised to uh, uh, understand that we need to put our faith in Christ, and as we do, you know, we become stronger. Well, number one, Saul was born in Tarsus. Uh, I actually went through Tarsus once. I, it was a high school trip. We lived in, in Turkey, and we went through Tarsus. Uh, but Tarsus at that time was the capital of the Roman province of Cilicia. So it wasn't just a little hamlet. I mean, we're talking about a major city here. And Saul was granted Roman citizenship because he was born in Tarsus. So you wondered how did he become, you know, we, you, know you hear later in the book of Acts that he says, well, I'm a Roman citizen. Well, that's why. So as a result of being a Roman citizen, Saul understood the Roman culture. That's number one, he understood the Roman culture. God planned that for him. Number two, though the Roman Empire had conquered the Greek Empire, the world was still dominated by Greek culture. Uh, it still go around today and and there are columns all over the place. I mean, it just looks like Athens all over again as you, as you travel along. Um, I, back before they realized that tourists were going to take little pieces of marble every time they came, you know, I mean, I, I have some, <laughs> you know, that I picked up. And sort of less now than there used to be, but, but uh, you know, there's columns. Uh, you know, it's just down in the middle of nowhere. Uh, aqueducts, uh, you know, buildings. So it turns out that Tarsus as well as Athens and Alexandria. Um, those were the three major centers of Greek culture throughout the Roman Empire. Who knew? So as a result of growing up in Tarsus, Saul understood the Greek culture. So he understands the Roman, you know, the Roman government culture, and he understands the Greek culture. Uh, number three, Saul was Jewish, uh, descended from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul was raised a Pharisee. There was the most conservative and 
legalistic sect in Judaism. They, they studied the law like you wouldn't believe. Saul must have also been an excellent student of Jewish uh, scriptures because he was chosen. I mean, not everybody, not everybody gets to do this. He was chosen to be a student of Gamaliel in uh, Jerusalem. So, I mean, that's like going for your PhD, you know, at, at Harvard or something like that. You know, you, you, you don't, not everybody gets in there. Um, so, uh, Saul understood the Hebrew culture. See what this is going? All this is before God changed his life. There were two kinds of Jews. We had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the Sadducees were the liberals. They were influenced by the Greek culture. The Pharisees were the conservatives. They were influenced by the Hebrew culture. So unknown to Saul, God had prepared him to be the perfect instrument to bring the gospel of Christ to the Romans, to the Greeks, to the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. There wasn't anybody he couldn't talk to. He would understand their culture, understand where they uh, were going, and consequently where they needed to go. Well, that was the upside of Saul's capabilities. Uh, but now on the downside. Saul was taught traditions contrary to the Word of God. Saul was taught that the temple belonged to the Jews. So, the Jews felt a kind of ownership of God. I mean, isn't that God's house? Saul was taught that the Jewish leadership were the only ones who could interpret the Word of God. So whatever you were taught you know, by these leaders, that, that must be it. I don't know whether you are drawing parallels to certain religions you know, today uh, that, that go along these lines. Well, as a result, Saul had learned the wrong view of God. Very important. I mean, you know, we're going to go through the same thing we did two weeks ago. It, you know, there's certain things that are essential to salvation. You have to have the right view of God. Saul had the wrong view of God. Saul was taught that righteousness was achieved by works. That's how they interpreted the law. We know that the law was to show us all of our faults. It would drive us to Christ, and Christ would help us to understand how to recognize and avoid these mistakes. But Saul considered himself innocent relative to the law of Moses. See, they, they just looked at outward appearance. Jesus was the same, the one who said, it's what's in your heart that matters, not what you look like on the outside. So Saul had learned the wrong view of sin. You know, if you don't have the right view of God, you don't have the right view of sin, there's no reason for repentance, there's no reason for God to forgive you, nothing to forgive. Saul had been taught that the Messiah would be a charismatic leader. They believe that today. He would be descended from the line of David. In other words, he'd be 100% human. Uh, he would be free. He would free the Jewish people from Roman bondage. I mean, they, that's what they lived for at that time. And he would immediately reign over a kingdom of peace and prosperity forever. So Saul knew that there had been many impostors. Okay, one by one, these impostors failed to fulfill the expectations of the promised Messiah. One by one, these impostors were put to death. 
as blasphemers of the name of God. You ever thought you needed to protect God? I mean, God is the creator of the universe. I mean, what are you going to... You're going to be a threat to him, really? So anyway, they, uh, they thought they needed to protect the name of God. The latest imposter was Jesus from Nazareth, who was considered to be the illegitimate son of Mary. Because they, you know, they'd heard the stories that she was pregnant before, uh, you know, she and, uh, and she was the wife of Joseph. So before they were married, uh, you know, she was pregnant. So they said, well, obviously he's illegitimate. If Jesus were the Messiah, he would have started the Messianic kingdom already. He didn't do it. Saul had learned the wrong view of the Messiah. So we have our cookie-cutter idea of what Jesus should be like. And uh, if it doesn't agree with us, well, it must be wrong. He had the wrong view of the Messiah. So, based on what Saul was taught, he acted out his faith sincerely and faithfully in the traditions of the Pharisees. He was in a religion, and he was very sincere and very faithful to his religion. But, you see, it was based on wrong premises. So, uh, Saul had become a member of the Sanhedrin. I mean, he was very zealous, and they, they recognized that, that he, there was a man on the way up. We've got to get him in the, in the Sanhedrin. And they were the spiritual rulers of the Jews. Saul lived, I mean, you know, he, he, he just breathed to, to protect the traditions of his ancestors. Even though Jesus was dead, people of the way kept his blasphemy alive. That, that can't be right. So Saul thought it was God's will to help stamp out this sect called the way. Do you see that today? We've got to kill everybody who doesn't believe the way we do. Not, Christians are not exempt from this. I mean, that's what the Crusades were all about. Uh, so ISIS, uh, you know, didn't invent this, this attitude. Well, Saul would enter house after house and drag men and women into prison. Saul would try to make them admit their blasphemy by torturing them. It sounds like the Inquisition, doesn't it? Done by... Christians. <laughs> so the Pharisees didn't have a, have a claim on this by, that, by themselves. Then Saul would cast his vote against them so that they would be put to death. And it was all because of his sincerity and his faithfulness to the traditions of the Pharisees. So now we get around to the turning point in Saul's life, which is our text for today. And we're going we're gonna to read through these nine verses in Acts uh, chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. I presume this is all oh, good. <laughs> See, I, I didn't look until now. I, I'm sorry I didn't have enough faith to continue through the service. <laughs> so it's on your screen up above my head. Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him uh, to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. 
I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though, he is, though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. All right, let's go back to first one. <clears throat> first one, and we're going to kind of pick this apart, see what we can learn from it. In verse 1, Saul was behaving like a ravenous wolf with teeth bared and lips curled. I don't know if you've ever seen movies where, where people you know, are surrounded by wolves, and you see them out there, and they're, they're, they're growling, and their, their teeth are showing, and you know, their lips are way up. And, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't know how you deal with that. Uh, and evidently they didn't deal with it very well because it says... Uh, in Acts uh, 9-1, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, this is a way of self-righteous legalism. It's without love. It's all about what I think. It's not about what I can do for you. It's not a matter of Jesus saying, you know, be servants to each other. Uh, build one another up. It's a matter of, of you deserve to be crushed. So it's a self-righteousness without love. And here's how it works. Um, we, we've heard a couple of sermons on this. Remember the slippery slope of communication? Communication is when you're on a top. So anyway, on, on one side is the aggressive side. If logic doesn't work, resort to character assassination. You idiot, why can't you believe the way I do? Okay, if that doesn't work, Resort to physical violence. I always get right in somebody's face and say, you better agree with this. Well, if that doesn't work, resort to murder. Okay, and that's that slippery slope. And so that's why we try to stay at the top. Uh, the other side ends up with suicide. If I'm aggressive, I'm going to kill you. If, I, if I'm completely you know, afraid of everything, you know, I end up... Uh, of committing suicide. That's, you know, we, we need to recognize those signs. But here we had Saul. He was on that aggressive side. So finishing verse 1 and continuing in verse 2, Saul obtained arrest warrants from the high priest. So finishing up uh, verse 1, he went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now this is, uh, remember, we're in the Roman uh, Empire. Uh, the ones who had a control over the Jews were, were, were the high priest, you know, in the Sanhedrin, and the various synagogues. And so, you now you, you weren't supposed to put anybody to death without Romans doing it, but you could, you could request that the Romans would kill them. So he had to bring them back to Jerusalem for that. So in verse uh, 3... They're almost within sight of, of Damascus, and it's the middle of the, the day, and uh, Saul is startled by light. So in Acts 3, it says, as he traveled, Acts 9, 3, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Now we get a little more detail in this as uh, 
Saul is relating this experience to King Agrippa uh, in Acts uh, 26. You know, and in verse 13 it says, King Agrippa, well, on the road at midday I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those uh, who are traveling with me. Okay, we're talking about the Middle East and we're talking about noon. The sun is up there. I'm telling you, it's hot. Now, that's actually, you know, I looked on a globe, you know, and, it, and it's about the same thing as like Charleston. Uh, you know, so we're not down in Florida yet, but, but still, it's, it's over in a, in a kind of a desert environment. And uh, things are bright. Uh, if you don't have dark glasses, you want them. But this had to be supernatural because all of a sudden, like the sun was nothing compared to this supernatural light brighter than the sun, and all Paul could think of was a, it was a light from heaven, as he, uh, as he said in, uh, as he said, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. So in verse 4, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 4, Saul is not only knocked to the ground, but a voice is speaking to him. So in verse 4 uh, of Acts 9, Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And again, in Acts 26, Saul gives us a little bit more detail. Um, Acts 26, 14. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew language. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So why do you keep kicking against the goads? What is your problem? So imagine... Saul's thinking, what's going on? <laughs> got this heavenly light. We got a loud voice. This must be God. And he's speaking to me in Hebrew. What does he mean? I'm persecuting him. I'm protecting his name. So he felt justified in what he was doing. What goes is he talking about? I have the support of the, the Sanhedrin. Well, back to our text in Verse 5, Paul asked the right question. Now, that's always the important thing. You've got to ask the right question to be able to understand the answer. So in verse 5, he says, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus, well, God, the voice, answers, I am Jesus, the one you were persecuting, he replied. So this must have come to us as a shock to Saul. His mind must have been racing. I thought Jesus was dead. So the rumors must be true. Jesus is alive, and he's speaking to me. This person who's speaking to me must be God. So Jesus must be God. I've been misinformed. Okay, finally he realizes he's he's wrong. So uh, we read uh, that God's patience, we read about God's patience with his ignorance in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting verse 12. I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful. I was a faithful Pharisee, that's for sure. Appointing me to the ministry. Now he's talking about later on. His faithfulness carried on, but not to uh, the idea of what the Pharisees wanted, but what God wanted. One who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. 
and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy and deserving and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. You know, the, ver the Bible tells us about God's patience. If, if we all got what we deserved when we first sinned, there'd be none of us here. God is patient with us, and he's giving us a chance to turn our lives back to him. Giving us a, a chance to understand that, that we are not in control, but he is. So Saul was getting the right view of God. So he had the wrong view to begin with. He's getting the right view now. So Jesus must be the Messiah. These people I'm after are following the Messiah. By persecuting them, I'm persecuting him. I'm not sure whether you realize that, you know, the day you got saved, that it's not a question of sinning against other people. It's a question of sinning against God. All of a sudden, you know, we turn our attention not just to people around us, but to God. So it's, remember I asked, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, when, when we sin, do we look around and see if anybody's looking? Or do we realize that God is the one who sees what we're doing? And we're actually sinning against him. So Saul was getting the right view of sin. It was the important thing. He was doing it, he was taking it personally, not blaming it on anybody else, but it's me. I am the worst of sinners, he said. So these goads I've been kicking against should have been warnings that my pride was causing me to be frustrated and angry. I don't know what you ever think about, it, you, know, you know, when you get frustrated about something. What is the matter with that car in front of me? I mean, you know, what does he need, a written invitation? Uh, why, do, why do we think that way? Uh, because it's all about us, you see. And then, you know, I mean, if you get angry, I mean, that, that ends up being road rage. Well, it's pride. And middle letter of pride is an I. Middle letter of sin is an I. <laughs> you know, you've heard these things. Well, we refused. We, Paul says, we refused to believe that Jesus was the Messiah in spite. He's starting to look at these times when he got frustrated. In spite of seeing miracles that we expected the Messiah to do, when we look at Luke 5, you know, starting in verse 20. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. This is Jesus talking uh, to the man who was let down through the roof. Remember the story? Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, yeah. <laughs> they just didn't recognize that he was God. But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, and this is the greatest put down, why are you thinking this in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or get up and walk? I mean, anybody could say your sins are forgiven you, but, you know, can you say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And he did. Whoa, I mean, that, that should have been a wake-up call to those Pharisees who were there. But all they were concerned about was, was uh, 
uh, the fact that, that Jesus was forgiving sins. They, you know, they didn't recognize uh, what was going on. All right, another one. Uh, even when he healed, even when Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, all we cared about was our law. Uh, John 5, starting in verse 16. Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. They had the wrong view of the Sabbath. You know, Sabbath ought to be every day, but, but they, they just said, we only have to do God's will on Sunday. Uh, don't be one of those Christians who says we only have to think about God on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it's really an everyday thing. Um, but Jesus responded to them, my father is still working and I am working also. I mean, God not only created everything, but he sustains everything, holds everything together. Can you imagine what would happen if on the Sabbath all of a sudden he let go? Well, that's what happens at the end. God is just going to let go, and the whole, the, you know, the whole universe, heavens and the earth, are going to just melt. They call that a fission bomb. Uh, you know, just all of a sudden everything goes up in, in heat. Nothing's holding it together. So I'm working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You see their frustration. And we refused to believe Stephen as he gave us a history lesson regarding our sin against God. Yeah, you've got to read, uh, you know, Acts 7. And he just went right down through the whole history of, of, uh, of Judaism, and they, they persecuted, uh, you know, anybody that came along and had told them that what they were doing was wrong and, and they needed to get it right with God. So starting in verse 54 of Acts 7, uh, when they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, filled by the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. See, they knew he was talking about Jesus. Then they screamed at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together they rushed against him. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. See, we've gone past that slippery slope, you know. It's not just a matter of character assassination. It's not just a matter of, of violence. It's a matter of murder now. And Stephen knelt down and cried out. Let's see, they were stoning Stephen. He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with his sin. And saying this, he fell asleep. So Jesus and Stephen and others in the way were not the blasphemers. Saul realized. He says, I am the blasphemer. These goads were all the Messiah's proofs that I refuse to believe. Saul was getting the right view of confession. You know, when you realize what you're doing wrong and you confess it before God, then you have something to build on. You've learned something about yourself. You're not God. We're sinners saved by grace, and we learn by our mistakes. Don't think you failed if you made a mistake. It's just, that's what we all do, and that's what we learn from. We learn from our mistakes. Uh, Jesus has said, you know, you're going to, you're going to uh, go through trials. But those trials are meant to strengthen us. It's like 
exercise for a football player or, you know, any kind of athlete. Especially now as you, you know, you see the Olympics approaching, you know, you see all these people doing, you know, going through all their exercise. They want to be able to do the right thing automatically. The only way to do that is to get rid of all the wrong things. That's where engineers have a problem, by the way. So if, if you know an engineer, have a little bit of patience. Because what engineers do is they've made something, but they see the mistakes in what they make. And so they're trying to fix the mistakes. And an engineer will come up to you and say, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this. You really ought to be doing something else. Just have patience for them. <laughs> All right, thank you. <laughs> so anyway, Saul asked the best, the next best question in Acts 22, um, you know, verse 10. There, there's three times that we see this testimony. Once, once where we are here in Acts 9, and once in 22, and once in, in chapter 26. So in Acts 22.10, then I said, what should I do, Lord? That's what we all need to do. We ought to do that first, by the way. You don't wait until you run into trouble. You wait, you, you say, Lord, I'm thinking about doing this. Uh, is that you that wants me to do that, or is my, you know, kind of selfish interest doing this? So he said, Lord, what should I do? So Saul was getting the right view of repentance. It's not about me, it's about him. So back to our text. In order to answer Saul's question, Jesus tells Saul what to do. Uh, Acts 9, starting in verse 6. Get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing a sound but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. Saul was getting a lesson in obedience. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. You know, if you're, you're doing something, and all of a sudden you end in the hospital, maybe it's just a time for you to just sit back and say, God, what should I be doing? Since I can't do anything on my own now, it's a good time to ask God what we should be doing. Uh, you're sick at home. It's, it's not a, oh, God, why are you doing this to me? No, take the time to say, God, what should I be doing next? Because, you know, all of those times when we're set back on our heels are times to, you know, reflect on what God wants. All right, finally... In verse 9, Saul is left to think about his crash course in God's will from God's perspective rather than from a man-made religious tradition. So in Acts 9.9, he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. So Saul was getting a lesson in meditation. He knew the scripture. I mean, he, you know, I mean, he, he was an excellent student, he studied even under Gamaliel. But now he's able to say, all right, I've been wrong, but I know all the scripture. How does this fit together now to understand the Messiah, to understand God, to understand his purpose, to understand why is it we've been worshiping this building, you know, instead of the God who uh, wants to work through us. So when Saul could see physically, God blinded him spiritually. But God took away Saul's physical sight to help him see spiritually. That's what meditation is about, so that we can think about what God wants, not about what we want. 
Like Moses and David, Saul's experiences were planned by God from his birth. And we just read that Saul's life was dramatically changed on the way to Damascus. God had a purpose for Saul's life, which we will see unfold as we continue in the book of Acts. But let's do a quick peek ahead. So in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 13, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my people because I was extremely jealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Very religious. Very faithful. Very. He was going to get there. But when God, who from my birth set me apart and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. God's will for Saul's life was revealed to him by God. By God himself. Not by his earthly father, not by Gamaliel, and not even by the other apostles. God revealed his will directly. So thinking about our own lives, you know, compared to Saul's. God caused Saul to have an understanding of other cultures to make him effective in what he would be asked to do for the Lord. Have we considered how God has shaped our own background? Have you looked at your past and said, that's God's hand there? I wouldn't have done that. God made it happen. I didn't know this was going to happen. Uh, But look how it worked out. God saved my life. You know, whatever all these things are, that we can look back and say, God had a hand on my life, you know, from the time I was born. Have we come to the time in our lives when we know in our hearts that Jesus Christ is God? He's God the Son, and that all authority has been given to him by God the Father. Is Jesus just somebody to help you? Is he just somebody to pray to? I mean, there's one intercessor between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Is that all he is? Uh, somebody to call up on the phone or whatever. You know, hey, I need a little help here. You know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good here, but I, I need a little bit of help. Uh, you know, what's your view of Jesus Christ? Have we come to the time in our lives when we know in our hearts that what we say or what we do or even what we think in our hearts apart from God's perfect will is sin? You want a definition of sin? I mean, the Bible says anything that's not done in faith is sin. So is it my idea or is it God's idea? Have we come to the time in our lives when we know in our hearts that sin interferes with God's perfect plan for this world and that those who interfere are worthy of his wrath? You say, well, I'm forgiven. You know, Jesus Christ is justified. Uh, You know, I'm justified by Jesus dying on a cross. But still, if we operate on our own, we're interfering with God. 
Now, his wrath won't come upon us because he promised that we're children. And he, he says, well, if children, I know that my children are, are immature. But that doesn't mean that he likes it. It's not a matter of sin, you know, being excused. Uh, God still, if we sin, God, if we're not, if we don't look and say, I better do something about this, God will bring it to our attention. So the question is, do you want to learn the easy way? Just read his word. Or do you want to learn the hard way? Hard way happens to Christians as well. Whom he loves, he chastises. You don't need to go down that path. Have we come to the time in our lives when we know in our hearts that we must confess our sins and beg for forgiveness? See, God will forgive our sins if we're sincere about not wanting to sin. So if, if it's something bordering, I, I keep picking on driving, you know, because that's, that's where I fail the most, at least the one that's come to my mind the most. Uh, none of us are, are perfect. Uh, anybody who gets up here and says they're perfect, they don't have any, they don't have any sin in their life, you know, you can just, you can leave. Because <laughs> you know they're not talking, you know, from God's word. So we must confess our sins because the whole idea, I recognize that I sin. Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I confess it. Please forgive me. Please help me not to do this again. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when he works in our life to bring it to our attention and it'll work in our life to help us to, to get our minds right by reading the proper scripture. Have we come to the time in our lives when we know in our hearts that we must turn from our sinful ways and obey his perfect will to fulfill his perfect plan for our lives? God has a plan for your life. Did you know that? I hope you do. Some of you say, well, I can't do what I used to do. I, me too, you know. <laughs> Uh, none of us are, let's see, I'm looking for the youngest one here, but, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, not, we're not as young as we used to be. We can't do things physically as much, and maybe our mind is gone, and we can't think about things as much. Uh, maybe the, the music that we hear, you know, just drives us crazy, and we, you know, we really got to get in a room where there's nothing, you know, no sounds or whatever it is. Uh, we need to know uh, that we want to be in his perfect plan, no matter what's going on around us. Uh, have we come to the time in our lives when we know in our hearts that we can take none of these steps? I, and this is important. You can't take any of these steps without God, the Holy Spirit, number one, giving us spiritual life. You can't have a spiritual relationship with God unless you're born again. Your spirit is dead. You must have spiritual life. The Holy Spirit will also give us spiritual power. There was understanding, everything. He'll, he'll, he'll empower us to do what he's asked us to do. Never say, uh, I can't do it. If God has called you to do something, you can do it. Uh, if you're trying to do something that God hasn't asked you to do, yeah, you might run out of, you might say, I can't do that. But if you get alone with God and you find out what God wants you to do, he will enable you to do it. All right, well, let's pray.